friend. A lot of times the, we don't realize that uh, praising the name of Jesus, it helps reorient our thoughts, doesn't it? I'm going to set this over here. <laughs> Everybody hear me all right so far? Okay, good. Good, good, good. So if we can turn in our Bibles while we're getting started to uh, 1 John chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. I want to thank uh, Pastor Hardy for bringing us down here, and uh, it's good to see them. They're like, they're like family, um, even Gretchen. So, no, it's no, Gretchen and uh, she's not in here, so I can I don't think so I can pick on her, you know, uh, hiding out. But um, Jody and Gretchen were uh, roommates in college and even after college for a little while. So there's a long uh, history that goes back uh, with them. So I really appreciate being here with you, and. Um, I think this will be a fun time, hopefully, where we are praising the Lord, we're worshiping Him while being here. So if you can think through, like, how can I worship God even by being a spectator for this portion of the service? And that way you're not just a spectator, you're actually a participant. So try to think about uh, the goodness of God and what He's done for you and how He might change your life and your heart uh, even today. Okay, I want to go ahead and read. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 11 through 18. <clears throat> verses 11 through 18 of 1 John 3. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. It provides a daily guide to life. Thank you for this passage. I pray that you would get me out of the way. I pray that people wouldn't even remember my being here today if it means uh, if that by that it means that they would learn this lesson that you and your Holy Spirit have to teach us today. So I pray you would help us to apply it to our lives and to pay attention, even me as I'm saying these words, that you'd convict me as well uh, in your name. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. All right, this text, if you read First John, he seems to repeat himself a lot, doesn't he? Uh, the Apostle John wrote this. Um, he goes throughout and he, he focuses on the idea of Christians loving each other, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to be a false follower of Jesus Christ, somebody who's only concerned about him or herself, like Cain, who was of that wicked one, not of us. We don't seem to love like Christ commanded all the time, do we? Um, I want to explain the title that you might see uh, behind you, Love, It's More Than a Feeling. Um, you may be aware of the song, It's More Than a Feeling, by Boston, you know, from the, from the 70s. I was actually talking um, uh, back there to the guys uh, in the back, and uh, 
One of them said, uh, you're not old enough to listen to Boston. So yeah, so, yeah, I mean, and so if I had to confess, the only thing I know is, is, is more than a feeling. And I'm not going to sing it for you, right? But some of you are thinking through that song in your head right now. You know, you know exactly what it is. Um, it's such a classic song that really most everyone in American culture is at least familiar with it, even if they have no idea who sang it or when it, what year it came out or what album it was on. Uh, some of you might know all that stuff. But the point is, you know, it's, it's iconic. Uh, what's interesting is that this song reflects the contemporary way that Americans tend to think about love. Fundamentally, we think it's a feeling, right? Uh, at least in America. So like, love is a feeling, how you feel about it, right? We think it's a state of our thoughts or something. Um, it's, it's just, do you feel good about this person? And that could be a, like a marital relationship. Do I feel good about that? Yes, no. It could be a friendship. Do I feel good? Do I, do I think, do, does hanging out with them make me love them? And it's all very passive. It's how I feel about uh, the issue. And sure enough, love can involve those things, right? You can. You, you may remember when you first, uh, how we would say, fell in love with your spouse. You dated them. You really wanted to be around them. There is at least a feeling, isn't there? But love isn't just a feeling. It doesn't end there. There's so much more to it than that. So now, you thought about maybe how you, uh, how you uh, met your and fell in love with your spouse, or you thought about how others have done that. Well, now, instead, I want you to think about something else. Think about somebody who really irritates you, uh, somebody who really bothers you. It could be a, a crazy uncle. Um, if you're the crazy uncle, it could be, you know, maybe one of your friends or maybe your, your niece or nephew, right? Or it could be someone, not just family, but someone who gets under your skin at work. They just bother you. It grates on you. Your personalities don't mesh. It could be somebody else in this room, and it, they just bother you. It's just your personalities don't go well together. Um, that happens. It does. It doesn't necessarily mean that sin is involved. It can mean that, but it doesn't have to. But have you ever noticed how hard it is to love these people? even family members at times, you don't have that feeling of love, right? You don't just want to call them over and hang out with them all day because it'll drive you nuts, right? You don't, you don't want to do that. Have you noticed in those situations, it's really easy to focus on yourself, right? How do I feel about the situation? How is hanging out with this person and, uh, and being involved in their lives, how is that going to affect me? Do you see the self-focus that can be there, that we can have sometimes? We can't. Why can't we? See, that's not real love, exactly. Focusing on ourselves and saying, uh, I love this person, but I'm never going to share a meal with them, or I'm not going to have more than a 10-second greeting conversation because I don't want to be involved in that. That's not real love. And we can't seem to love each other like we ought to, like this text here in 1 John 3, 11 through 18 tells us. Why can't we love one another? Why can't we love our Christian brothers and sisters? Here's the challenge today that I hope to bring through uh, to us. We ought to obey God by loving the brethren, the brothers and the sisters in our Christian community, self-sacrificially. We ought to be members of self-sacrifice. So we're going to talk about kind of ways we can do that, how we do that, and we're going to move through the, the text here, seeing what it tells us. So the first thing about how we can obey God by loving the brethren self-sacrificially, is we love one another in our service to God. So we can see this in verses 11 through 12. I'd like to re recap. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain. Here's a negative example, right? And slew his brother. 
Cain slew his brother, and why did he kill him? Why? Because Cain's own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. So John frames this entire issue as a command given from the beginning. Now here, that from the beginning, John's talking about the beginning of Christianity, right? So Jesus had a message of loving one another, going above and beyond in service toward others. But he's talking about Jesus Christ as well, specifically. In fact, you can see that in, I won't have you turn here, but you can make note of it if you'd like, John 13, 4 and John 15, 12. Jesus is actually instructing his disciples that Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, are to love one another. In fact, so much this love is emphasized that it's a distinguishing mark. It's what shows that you are a Christian. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. So the love that you show should be so good that they say, that is what Jesus looks like. Just as Jesus imaged God the Father by, well, he was God in the flesh, but he imaged God the Father. He said, if you have seen me, Philip, then you have seen the Father. In that same way, so hopefully it could be said of our lives, if they read our lives, if they see us, they will see Jesus reflected in us. So that'll put things into perspective, won't it? If the distinguishing feature is how much you love your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, isn't that a convicting thought? Some of us are, are more naturally adept at this than others. I have to tell you, I'm not one of the naturally adept ones. Um, my wife can tell you all in here she can get, about how I'm not naturally thoughtful. Um, you know, so there'll be a situation, a need that arises, and I don't think through it and say, I don't want to do that. Instead, I just don't think about it. And so there'll be obvious situations that are obvious that, uh, for her that uh, I should be involved in or, or that we should take care of. And I, I just, it won't even, it'll just go right over my head. So for those of us who aren't naturally adept at it, though, uh, we, that's not an excuse. We can't say, well, I'm not really going to love the, the brethren in service uh, to God because that's not really my area. That's not really my thing. Well, actually, if you're a Christian, it is your thing. It's so much your thing. It's a distinguishing feature. If you don't have love for the brothers and sisters in Christ, at the very least, people won't know necessarily that you're Christian. And really, what we're going to find out is that John says more about it than that if you have a total lack of love for the brethren. So as an illustration of what it means, you might wonder, why is, why is John bringing up Cain? He's bringing it up as an illustration. So it takes it back to Genesis 4. A lot of you are familiar with this story, Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain's offering is rejected towards the Lord, and Abel's offering is accepted. Why is that? Doesn't it seem kind of unfair for God to do something like that to if you read the story and you just kind of take it at face value, it just says Abel brings this kind of offering and Cain just kind of gathers this stuff together and brings the offering. Hey, he's trying. Why is God not, not into that, right? Why is God rejecting Cain's offering? Well, it's not unfair of God. We're actually going to uh, dig further into it. There are a couple of things that we have to consider here. First, God is not pleased by selfish motives. You see, Cain had selfish motives. Cain didn't come to bring the offering to the Lord and say, I just want to serve you and worship you after the pattern of worship that you established after the, my parents were cast out of the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve were his parents. They, he was the oldest son. They were cast out, uh, Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, and God prefigured the sacrifice of Jesus Christ by slaying an animal and giving them the skins of the animal, right? 
So there was this, this pattern of, of uh, death from something that was alive. And Cain, hey, he just wanted, he wanted to be, he wanted to step out, be different, get noticed by God. Look at all the things I collected for you, God. Look at all the things I brought in to you. Cain is an example because he had selfish motives. Uh, verse 12 says, Cain's works were evil. His own works were evil, it says in verse 12. He wanted to do something for God and have God recognize him and be happy with him. The Bible says Cain's offering was of the fruit of the ground, and there are a couple of problems with this. First, we mentioned this already, Cain's offering was not according to the pattern of Genesis 3. Uh, Cain was just doing what he, what he thought was best, what he, his own heart wanted to do. Second, Cain used his abilities as a gatherer and provider of food to bring God something as if God lacked anything. So think about some a brief application here. How many of you, in, in service to God, under that, that rubric, have tried to do things in your own strength? I know I have. If we're being honest with ourselves, most, if not all of us, have been there before. Well, we didn't rely on God. In fact, we wanted to show people how good we are, how talented we are, how, how independent we are. We don't need anybody else. Um, you know, we, we don't need help from, uh, you know, pastors have this issue, right? They, they're, they're in the ministry. They're supposed to be the number one guy, right, Suppose, you know, supposedly. And they don't need any help, right? Well, actually, that's not true. I'm sure Pastor Dale could tell you, uh, actually, we do need help. So people who are in the ministry need help just, just along the same lines as you. They're just humans. So doing things in your own strength, showing people how great you are, these things, this is a lot. This is the attitude of Cain. And Cain is not a guy you want to be associated with. You don't want to be in that category of being like Cain, who was of that wicked one. God doesn't lack anything. He doesn't need us. He graciously uses us and loves us and involves us in his ministry. Um, and God is not pleased by selfish motives. So there's another thing that we have to consider and about our service to God, and that God is pleased with the best of our lives. So let's go back to the biblical illustration of Cain and Abel, God being pleased with the best of our lives. Abel brought God the firstborn of the flock, right? If you go back and look at Genesis 4, you can see that the firstborn was considered to be the number one thing. In ancient cultures, if you were firstborn, you got all the inheritance. You were considered to be the number one son. You, you were in charge of the estate. You were the most valuable, which is why if you, you know, go back to uh, the book of Exodus, when the firstborn of Egypt uh, were kill killed in the, in the plague, uh, the final plague. Uh, that's why that, that was such a big deal. Not just because it was their son, that was a big deal, but because their most important, their most valuable uh, son, so to speak. We, it's hard to even put that in, in our categories, but the most valuable son, so to speak, was taken uh, from them. So, and we see counter-biblical illustrations from this of it not being the firstborn, but generally in their cultures, that's how it worked out. Well, so the firstborn of something is considered to be the best. You're not, you're not holding anything back from God. You're giving it to God. So Abel wasn't holding anything back. What was Abel doing? Instead of selfish motives, Abel had pure motives. Abel wanted to give God the best from his life. And so he's a positive illustration, I think, for us to, to use. As opposed to Cain, he killed, Cain killed Abel because Cain's works were evil and Abel's works were righteous. Abel
Abel doesn't demonstrate any particular skill in killing this animal, right? You see the contrast? Cain, on this hand, he gathers all different kinds of varieties of fruit that he, uh, things from the land that he has grown, he has cultivated, he has brought up, and he shows his skill in, in laying it out in a flourish for God. Look at what I did, God. Aren't you happy? And instead, Abel just takes the firstborn that they already had, kills it, sacrifices it to God. There's no particular skill in that. There's no glory in that, is there? No one was going to come up to Abel and say, aren't you awesome? Nope, not really. You know, There's no glory in it for Abel. But it was the best from his life. He was interested in God getting the best. Abel just demonstrates a willing heart of service to God. Now, what does Cain do in response to this? He kills his brother. Classic overreaction. So, um, you know, when we get upset, uh, we hopefully don't go out and kill anyone. But, at the same time, think about Cain's heart. That's the issue. It's an appalling and astonishing response, but his heart was not full of love for Abel. It wasn't full of love for God. It was full of love for self. And instead of love for Abel, it was filled with hate. He, that is Cain, was serving himself, and Abel was serving God with his best. So some of you might be thinking, so what does this have to do with me? I haven't killed anyone, right? Uh, much less my brother or a fellow Christian. And that's, that's good. I'm glad we're, we're there. But there's a certain respect in which you have killed someone. This might be shocking to some of you, but, but think about this, though. You've heard this text before, so I'm hoping some of you are even thinking through it right now. Matthew 5, 21 and 22, which say, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, that means fool, in Aramaic, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Think about that. Jesus' words we have to take seriously. No, I'm not talking about giving up your salvation. No, I'm not talking about having it taken away from you. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying if you're the kind of person. There's two things that he's saying. First of all, he's saying if you're the kind of person who doesn't love your brother, who doesn't love uh, uh, these, these people who you encounter, and in fact you hate them and you think, those are just foolish jerks, and you, you know, you, that, that's really what you believe deep in your heart, then what you are is a murderer. And I submit to you that most of us have been there. Now why, why would you be a murderer in that case? Well, for one, every person is made in the image of God. And when we disrespect someone, anyone, that disrespect is really an affront to God himself. Right? Do you see the connection? He made that person on the street. He made that person who's in our face and yelling at us about our differing uh, religious beliefs. He made that Muslim who wants to kill all non-Muslims. That's right, God made them. And although their beliefs, their works, their actions might even be evil, we don't get to repay evil for evil. Instead of hating them, uh, if you're that type of person, who, if you're a hater and a murderer, uh, actually in your heart, 
because you're destroying the image of God in them in your mind. Uh, and if you're that kind of a person then who hates and murders, then he says you're the kind of person who might be on their way to hell. So he's not saying if you've ever done that once uh, and you're saved that you've lost your salvation. Instead he says, what, what kind of a person are you? you you're externally, you didn't kill anyone. Good. But internally, your heart's a mess. Now we Christians can still have a messed up heart, can't we? In this sense. In the sense that we might say no to God and to his conviction. Right? So some of you, just think about that time, especially if you have gotten on social media that's a really big place to have a lot of debates and discussions. And there's good that goes along with that. There really is, but there's bad. Someone says something you don't like, and you say, ah, oh, what a dummy, you know, what a moron, or something like that. Or, or we, and, we, and we really mean it. We, we really get angry. Um, uh, we're not just being silly or something. In those moments, we have to really examine ourselves. Because what we've done is we've taken and we've murdered them in our hearts. We've stamped them out as not worthy of being a person of respect made in the image of God. And that's something that, when we take it back, we're taking it back to Cain and Abel. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was showing that the Old Testament laws still had relevance in a certain sense. Uh, had a relevance in a certain sense. Uh, it had a, a broad application. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, but... On top of that, there's still principles that have to be followed, right? These aren't laws that are really specific things you've got to go do and do the sacrifices and, and do all these things. Instead, there's principles behind them. Namely, Jesus was exploring those principles. He was pulling them out. They were always there. He said, no, you don't get to hate uh, your brother. We've all murdered our brothers in our hearts this way. So here's some application about God being pleased with the best from our lives. And on the other hand, God being displeased with selfish motives. Some of you either are serving or might have served in church due to selfish motives. You've done it to be recognized. If the truth were told, you'd find a way out of doing the menial tasks, like cleaning the church, or setting up stage, or, or doing things like that, or doing maybe behind-the-scenes tasks that don't get recognized by anyone. But when we have selfish motives, we can't possibly be loving our brothers because we're too busy loving ourselves. So next, we love one another differently than the world. That's the way we obey God, by loving each other differently than the world. So let's build on the foundation of giving God the best of our lives. And we can look at verses 13 through 15. Marvel not, my brethren, if what? If the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abides in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So the way in which we love is different than the world. And this is because there's three major reasons this is true. First, because hate is of the world. Look at verse 13. Does it look familiar? Uh, it should, because it's a virtual quote of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 15, 18, and 17, 14. Let me just repeat where uh, we were. Uh, John 15, 18, and 17, 4. Jesus says this quote, right? Or something very close to it. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. So Jesus emphasized the world hated him first. Now, I don't mean the world as in like, yep, everybody outside of these doors. It's us against the world. Uh, not that. Instead, what he's saying, he's talking about the world, the system that is set up 
to oppose God and Jesus Christ. So that system hates God. And that system, which is headed up by the devil, the prince and the power of the air, is not going to uh, itself be converted. That's the devil. But the people who are held under that sway, uh, those people do still have the chance to repent, of course. Uh, the kingdom of Satan, that's as opposed to the kingdom of God. that hates Christ and everything he stands for. In John 17, Jesus is praying for believers that they might be one. Uh, this unity, that, that oneness, is used to show a distinction between the love that believers share and the hate that is of the world. So you see, when unbelievers, when the world system, people who are committed to the world system, when they love each other, it's often based on a feeling we mentioned. Uh, it's often based on how good or what you can do for me. What good can you do for me? And what have you done for me lately? What are you still doing for me right now? That determines how I love you, um, and what actions I do. Instead of that, ours is to be mirroring the unconditional love of Christ in a spirit of unity. There's not a lot of unity in the world. It doesn't take too much to see that, right? And there's not, unfortunately, a lot of unity in the American church, in the body of Christ. But there can be, and really there ought to be, this oneness that shows it in contrast uh, to the hate of the world. Now, if hate towards believers and people of the world, in this sense, uh, is of the world, that is, if we are hating people and we're mirroring the world by doing that, then when we're displaying hate, who are we ultimately reflecting? We're not reflecting Christ. Uh, in that case, we're reflecting Satan. Now, I'd love to tell you that this never applies to me, that I never fall into this trap. That isn't true. Um, I was out driving the other day, and I needed to get over into a different lane, and the person uh, had been stopped quite a bit far back, and she had her head down, so I thought this would be the perfect time for me to get over. Well, apparently in the time that I was starting to get over, she had zoomed up and got upset at me and, and beeped because and, and I had more or less cut her off because I, by the time I'd gotten over. Now, I'd love to tell you my response was, well, you know, sorry about that and God bless. Instead, you know, I, I kind of made the, the situation a little worse, right? How many of you have been? Oh, don't raise your hands. But uh, don't raise your hands. Some of you have been there before. But my response was, far less than Christ-like. Uh, Christ would not have tried to make the situation worse, right? Uh, so that's a set, probably a minute after it happened, I was like, oh, I've got to confess that, that sin, and I repented of that, and I wish I could have, st I wish that person had, had still been there, and I could have apologized, and <clears throat> you know, you think, what if I run into this person later, and they, they know I'm a Christian, you know, that kind of stuff. Not likely, but you know, you got to think, you got to think through the consequences and the principles, but I didn't. Instead of displaying Christ, I was displaying the works of darkness, the works of Satan. I had to repent. And we kind of chuckle at, you know, driving stories and things like that, but really that, that can bring out the worst in us. Um, and so the point is, when we're not acting in a loving manner, we're not reflecting Christ. We are reflecting the anti-God attitude of the world. So the second reason we love each other differently than the world is because love comes from life. You can see that in verse 14. We passed from death to life because we love the brothers. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now John 13, 35 says that, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Now can you name a group in the world where everybody in that group loves each other and acts with, with unity? 
I can't really think of any because it's not a normal thing that's supposed to appear in the world. It's, well, it is supposed to, but the way this broken world is, it's not a normal thing that, that occurs in the world. Instead, it's something that uh, conflict and selfishness, those are the things that are character, characterizations of many organizations. Um, even, even a religion that calls itself the religion of peace has groups that literally kill each other, you know, uh, Islam. So instead of that, with Christianity, that's why we're supposed to stand out and be different. Not issues of conflict and selfishness, but instead peace. Yes, we're going to have natural conflicts, but love comes from life. And if you're saved, you've been given life. Amen? So you have life. Think about when you weren't saved. Think about when you were not a follower of Christ. You did not have life. You had death. You had separation from God. And there was nothing you could do to get out of it. But God quickened us, right? When we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. So think about that. Don't lose the wonder of your salvation because love comes from life. Now that you have life, that love should come out. And yes, some of you may be sitting here saying, it's so difficult. It is. It is not easy. But you should be willing to grow and you will grow through his Holy Spirit and through the community here at your church. You will grow. Um, that, that attitude of, of love coming from life will come out of you. God sent his son to be the ultimate act of service, of love. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Have you ever wondered in part why uh, Jesus wasn't just born as a baby and then have Herod succeed? right, when Herod sent the people to try to kill every, every baby boy under the age of two, why not just succeed and then say, that was the sacrifice, all right, good, good times, yeah, so why, why did they not do that, uh, one of the, why did God not do it that way, one of the reasons is because Christ is our example of self-sacrificial love, so he needed to grow up and to live as an adult, as a human, having the full a real human experience, not just a fake, you know, run through, where he showed us everything about what it means to live according to God's, God's life that he gives you. So, if we don't love, if we don't love at all, then we don't have life. Verse 15 is pretty clear about this. If you hate your brother, you're a murderer, and if you're a murderer, then you don't have eternal life. What does this mean? Because I just got through saying several minutes ago that we've all been there murdered someone in our hearts. So is John saying that none of us are saved? No. He's saying if this is a characterization of your life, if that's what your life is about, then you're not a believer. Okay? So it doesn't mean if you've struggled with this in the past. It doesn't mean if you're struggling through it now that you're not a believer. What it does mean is that if you don't have love at all for the brethren, you don't have it at all in any way, you're not a believer. So that's a challenge for, some, for maybe for some of you. But for others of us, we are saved and we still struggle with this. Well, don't give up the fight. Don't give up the struggle. So his entire point is to recognize those who are true believers. And if you have an attitude, if your life is characterized by an attitude of hate, then you don't have it. So second, John is using this as a motivation for those of the flock, those Christians, who really were believers, but who could love better. Now, again, you don't have to raise your hand, but think through how many of you could love better than you do 
today? I know I could. I'd have to raise my hand. If you have trouble controlling your temper, maybe, or your responses to others, this has something to say about that. Hates of the world. Are you struggling with eternal security, wondering if you're going to make it? Right? Examine your heart. Maybe there's less love there than you would have thought. Do people in the secular world know you're a Christian? Or would they know if you hadn't told them? Would they know there was something different about you? Are you loving more like the world, where you're just more or less deep down in your heart trying to see what you can get out of it? Or are you loving unselfishly and self-sacrificially? So finally, the last point. We obey God by loving each other self-sacrificially when we love one another as Jesus did. So this is found in verses 16 through 18. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion, that is, your heart, that's a, a, a stand-in, a metaphor, a picture for your heart, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. So if we try to love, if we're saying, I don't want to love like the world. I want to do something better. I don't want to be uh, selfish. I want to be self-sacrificial. And we try to do it in our own strength. We're going to be frustrated. I've got a 16-month-old son, Titus. And uh, a lot of you have seen him already. Um, he's a fun little guy. He loves to do things without mom and dad's help. He used to. He doesn't so much do this anymore. But he used to kind of push our hands away if we try to hold his hand uh, in a parking lot with cars going everywhere. He's like, no, this is more fun. You know? But um, he has this toy, this push toy, and we have kind of a little threshold that separates our kitchen from our living room at home. It's, it's not very big, but on one side of it, it takes a little more effort to get over, and uh, he's not quite strong enough, or at least he wasn't when this happened. He was trying to push his toy over the threshold, his little pushing toy, and he kept ramming into it, ramming into it, and not getting over it. And he finally just sat down, and I think Jody saw him do this, and he was just crying. He got really upset and frustrated and whined and sat down and kind of pouted his way through it because he was angry that he didn't get over. In a way, that's like us, trying to get over a spiritual hump by ourselves in our own strength without relying on the Father to get us through. And then we just get frustrated and quit, right? I know plenty of times when I've tried to power through with my own will and spirituality, it hasn't done it. Well, we're being like a child, little child. And instead of trying it ourselves, maybe have our Father help us and work through it together. We're only engaging in selfishness in those cases. Now, there are three aspects to Jesus' love. That's the power of, of, of the Father. Three aspects to Jesus' love I would like to uh, explore and have us emulate today. So first... The love of Jesus is freely given. He laid down his life for us. No man took it from him, he said. He said, but I freely lay it down. So when Jesus said he laid down his life for us, it just, this echoes in John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Right? So if you have brothers and sisters, right, let's freely give of ourselves to love them. It's different than a selfish motive, isn't it? If you say, I want to love so that this person can repay me back with a favor later. It's not really free, is it? There's an attachment. There's a string involved. Or I want to love, maybe not so they can pay me back, but so that they'll know that I'm a good person and they'll think, what a great, uh, what a great Christian, right? 
Well, it's not really freely given, even though they don't know there's an attachment. Uh, there's an attachment, and that attachment is, I want to be recognized. Well, instead, it's totally free. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And yet all we like sheep have gone astray in Isaiah 53. So because of our sin, we indeed need someone to save us. And Jesus Christ willingly and freely gave his life for ours. The second thing, Jesus' love is tangible. There are real results. Uh, there are some feelings involved, but the love of Jesus is tangible. Um, and we really ought to love that way. John is giving a contrast in a negative example, right? But he says, if you see that your brother has a need, provide it. I, you know, there, think of a situation where somebody you know who's a Christian uh, doesn't have enough food to get through the week, right? Well, how about setting them up with, with groceries? You know, how about setting them up with, with chicken and sides and getting them through the meals that they need to get to eat, right? Tangible. There are real needs that we have, and a lot of times we just say, what do we say? I'll pray for you. Now, prayer is extremely important. Please don't misunderstand me or mishear me. But we say, I'll pray for you, and then what do we do? If we're honest, a lot of us do nothing after that, not even, not even pray. We'll just say, I'll pray for you. So we don't even get to the level of praying. Please pray for them, but please, if you can do anything, do something for them. Try to help, because the love of Jesus is tangible. He, that's, what, that's what he's saying in verse 17. You shut up your bowels of compassion. You shut up your heart of compassion from them, and you say, no, I'm just not going to do that. Uh, how does the love of God dwell within you? Do you see the connection? The love of God, what if he had shut up his heart of compassion toward us? There would be no salvation. So the love of Jesus is freely given, and it's tangible, and so if we aren't freely giving and having tangible love there, again, how does the love of Christ dwell in us? And then uh, the third thing is that the love of Jesus is active. Verse 18, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And this, this isn't saying that you can't love someone with your speech. It's not saying that. Instead, it's saying don't stop there. You need to love in deed and in truth. Your life needs to match up with this. The love of Jesus needs to be active in these people's lives. Jesus Christ loved self-sacrificially, and so should we. Now you might think, and again, I've been where some of you are. You might think, that sounds really good, but that's not realistic, because Jesus had to give up his life. That's right. <laughs> Jesus had to give up his life. He had to give up himself. He had to say, I'm no longer living for my self-interests, or I'm not living. He I shouldn't say no longer in reference to Jesus, but for us, we need to say, I'm no longer living in my self-interest. I don't want just to get things out of life and move on and be comfortable. Instead, I'm willing to lay down my life. Now, the, the laying down of your life is something you actually have to do in a metaphorical sense every single day. It's why Paul said, I die daily to myself. <clears throat> it is a thing you have to do. What may or may not happen is whether or not physical death comes with it. But this, the reality of spiritual death to yourself and, and saying that I'm not going to pursue my own ends, but God's ends, that's something that happens every day. We ought to obey God by loving each other self-sacrificially. Think about that today. How can you start loving your brothers and sisters in Christ in an active way, in a tangible way, in a way that is not of the world, 
in a way that is of Christ? How can you serve behind the scenes in this church? How can you serve in a way that helps build up the body in spiritual ways and in physical ways? Think about one way that you can do that today. Will the, will the doing of the work make you a better person and make you more fit before God to go to heaven? No, it won't. Will it be more of a reflection of God and his love and the Son of, Je- of God, Jesus Christ, who is God, who came in the flesh? Will it be more a reflection of, of the character of the Trinity? Absolutely. And that's what we are here to do, to help each other be conformed to the image of the Son while spreading the word, the gospel, to those in our community. So if we'll bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that there's real, real work to be done in our hearts. And thank you that you haven't given up on us. Thank you for your grace. I pray that uh, you would help us take one aspect of this and apply it to our lives, uh, even today. That people would remember your word and go back to this text even later on. Uh, Please bless us as we uh, continue to think about your word. In Jesus' name.